One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, the cycling app that makes training fun because fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad. Hello. Another stage of the Vuelta to chew over. Yes. We've got Dan Lloyd, GCN's very own. Thanks for having me again. Mm, Welcome back, Dan. It's been a while. It has been a while. I can't yeah. remember when I was last on, actually. Important to have you on because you've been living and breathing the Vuelta um, on comms. He loves the Vuelta, Dan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby race. I actually missed the first week because I was on holiday, although I did still try and watch as much of it as I could, as much of it uh, as I was allowed to with the family holiday. But yeah, I've been back into it the second week. One week to go. One week to go. So stage 15, let's get right into it. It was one potentially for the GC we were looking at before the day but one man rode away from everyone else and he was out there for a long time brad yeah rafa micah yeah chapeau to him today was it 85 kilometers off the front on his own brilliant ride we saw at the end of his interview there it's quite emotional wasn't he talking about the death of his father early in the year Mm. which i wasn't aware of um, and he was doing it for him but it's been a while since rafa actually won a race so i think it's it's um you know, someone of his quality, you know, you've seen him in the Tour de France so present, not only working for Pogacar this year, but um, twice King of the Mountains, of course, in the in the Tour de France. And he's had such a great career, Olympic medalist, of course. But today, you know, to win a stage as well and, and into this last week, the real strong men are coming to the fore. And it was the same with Bardet yesterday. You know, these aren't people that are just kind of, we almost become accustomed to at the Volta is people winning stages that we've never heard of. And it's their, their stepping stone and platform into the world of cycling. But... The last two days, although we haven't had the action behind that maybe we expected from a GC battle, we're getting some of the sort of big names of the sport the last few years winning, which is is good. Mm. And it's interesting, like you said, that we didn't know, obviously, about Raphael's father. And why would we? You have to have a certain level of, of celebrity, I guess, for people to be interested in not only what you do as an athlete, but also what's going on around in your life. Brad knows that only too well. Once you get to that level then people start to be interested in other parts. But for the vast majority of pro riders, you know, we only see what they do on the bike and we start questioning whether they're off form or what's going on. And we don't know the little things that have happened to them during the season. And when you do realise it and someone like Raffle takes a win today, you think, well, actually, that could affect him the whole season, really. You know, if he's not been quite where we expected him to be, that's probably a very good reason why. Mm. Pointed to the sky afterwards, didn't he? When he uh, when he crossed the line. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then became clear uh, why subsequently in his interview almost 4,000 vertical meters today I mean it's a big old day to spend 80 kilometers out on your own yeah and also it also adds weight to what I was saying on the post show that um this lad in the red jersey you know he's he's not there because they're letting him be there odd question I yeah Yeah. it was a very small group at the end there Intermarche took up the riding and he's there on merit at this stage and I suppose we maybe get a bit guilty of overemphasizing it in the post show and the pre-show about them gifting him the jersey and deciding when they take it back he's there on merit and he's there for a reason and i suppose it occurred to me today actually this guy could finish on the podium that's if they dislodge him at this stage i mean we saw um 
Primoz crashed last week. Mm. Um, you know, one crash, and we've seen Primoz crash out of a lot of races, haven't we, over the last couple of years? It's the only time he sort of is fallible, really, in these races. Mm. So it's it's not over, really. And they rode today like a team that are, you know, two weeks into a grand tour with a team leader of someone who could defend to the end. Now, whether that happens or not remains to be seen, but he was there today on merit, really. Yeah. And, you know, all credit to him. He's there for the long haul, though, isn't it? This is not like where no. Magnus Court Nielsen got caught inside the line then just completely sat up and lost almost a minute in a couple of hundred metres. Even if he does go out of the red jersey, he's still going to be there thinking, well, where can I end up? You know, it could be top three on the podium, could it be top five? You know, top ten would be the best result he's ever had in the Grand Tour by quite some margin. So even if he does end up losing that red jersey, he's not going to give up. He's going to be up there fighting every day. Mm. Well, he's going to have to lose five and a half minutes at the moment if he's going to finish outside of the top ten. So... I mean, he's got 136 on Roglic. It's, I mean, we're impressed with Intermarché and we're now talking about Intermarché for a very good reason. Yeah, yeah, and rightly so. And um, if he does lose five and a half minutes, it's, um, there's going to be hell of a day to do that. And I don't think he'll be the only one who loses time if that happens. You know, that's not going to be mm. an isolated incident where he loses five and a half minutes on his own. He's got a strong team around him. It's not like he's isolated in these late stages of these stages. You know, that, that will be a spectacular effort. And, and, and the like of which we've seen from Chris Froome in the past where he blows the race to pieces and people lose huge chunks of time. So he won't be on his own if he loses five and a half minutes. So it, mm. I find that hard to see happening, to be honest, at this stage. Mm. It was everyone, almost it seemed like every man for themselves right at the beginning of, t- of today. It wasn't that anyone could control it. First of all, it was just because it was such a frenetic start. I think it was 57 kilometers per hour, the average, for the first half an hour, the first hour. It was, it was 50 kilometers plus. Insane start to the day at this stage of, of any Grand Tour, let, let alone one where you've, you've already battled through 30 degrees plus heat every single day almost. A lot of them have been, but we just haven't had the chance to watch them because unlike the Tour of the Giro, the world doesn't have live coverage from the start of every single day. Today was one of those where they decided to use the extra TV time and all the costs that come with it. Um, and so we got to see all the attacking at the start and it did go on for a blooming long time, didn't it? You know, Sepp Kuss going up the road, that was a really interesting one. And yeah. you're there thinking, wow, you know, if, if this isn't brought back, this is going to change things Well, Kuss could have ended the day in red. Potentially, yeah, you just, like you just didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it's good that we had to start because, you know, the end wasn't as interesting as we were hoping because we didn't, didn't have much GC action. We kind of knew with 25Ks to go, maybe even more, that Rafa Mike was going to take the stage win. And those are the days where you're thankful that you're able to watch the first part because so much happens there. There's so many different dynamics within different competitions within the race, whether it's King of the Mountains or if it's young riders, maybe not appropriate here with Bernal being in it, but you know, with the, the red jersey as well, Sepp Kuss still being up there on GC. And I said in commentary, but it's a real prime example of why it's quite handy to have another rider in your team that's high up on GC because rather than having to put your whole team on the front to chase another dangerous rider, you've got one that's even more dangerous yourself and you can mm. sit back, let other people take charge of it. Fabio Aru looks like he might escape with Micah at one stage. And of course, this is Fabio Aru's final race. He retires at the end so, of the yeah. Vuelta. At only, I think he's 31. He's still, he's still pretty young, particularly for, for a GC man, you'd expect... Or, as we might have seen him back in back in 2015, I think, when he won the Vuelta. We really thought he might develop into a, a real regular GC contender. Would have been a great swan song for him. Yeah, but I guess there's a reason he is retiring and he's not the rider he was. Mm. Um, he's had some really dry years, hasn't he, now up to this point? And um, he was sort of poised to become the next Vincenzo Nibali and take over mm. as Italian's next big Grand Tour rider. I mean, he almost looked like him on the bike and everything. He had a very, very similar... 
you know, was he top? He was a podium in the Tour de France as well one year. I'm sure he was third in the Tour de France. He obviously he's won the Vuelta, but um, injury plagued him after that and lots of other things, legal cases and things like that. It would have been, but I mean, we're not talking about the same Fabio Aru as we used to no. sort of see him as. The man who made the best effort to try and catch Micah out front in the end was Stephen Krauschwick uh, for Jumbo Visma. What was he thinking when he was caught between the two? He was caught between the, the chasing bunch and he, had, he still had, it was holding pretty firm a minute and a half to Micah for almost 50 kilometers of that race. Okay, Micah ended up putting a little bit more time into him and then when he knew he'd got it, he lost it again come the end. Interesting old day for Stephen Krauschwick. Is he going to get... Is he is he going to get some criticism today for that, uh, or, is, or should he get more praise? Than... We, we talked about this in the post race show as well, didn't we, Brandon? That yeah. it, what could he do at that point? He would have looked equally silly by dropping out of it completely with thirty k's to go, and he knew the stage win wasn't up for grabs anymore. So obviously, initially, when he was between the two groups, he would have been thinking, you know, I'm fresher, I'm a great climber, I can catch Rafael Mike and try and take a stage win here at the race. Mm. After a while, obviously, he would have realised that first cat climb, the gap held so steady, it was one thirty pretty much the entire way up. It didn't rock either way, mm. one or two seconds either way, maybe not more than that. Um, so at the top of that, he probably would have been thinking, well. I'm here now. I can't just sit up and, and save energy for the rest of the race at this point. I might as well just carry on. But it would have taken quite something out of him because although he wasn't alone as long as Rafael Micah was, he was there for quite some time in the end over some really hard terrain. Mm. Jumbo Visma, was that, are they looking at that as a, as a tactic? Okay, everyone, everyone else has to ride. If Krauschwick's up the road, then, then we, we can just sit in Intermarche's wheel. They've got the jersey. It's up to them to control it. I think they were riding anyway. I, I got the sense really that showing that they're incredibly confident in how they're all riding to be, to give Stephen Kreis like the freedom to go up the road to chase a stage win. Because in his post-race interview, he said, I, I appreciated the fact that I was allowed to try and go for this stage win. So they had allowed him to go for his own personal ambitions today, mm. which must mean that they're pretty confident in all of the rest of their riders and in, in dealing Kreis right for the rest of this race as well. Mm. The fact that it's the day before the rest day, did that did that speak to the fact that it was so full gas from the beginning of today? Um, I think, I don't know, it's just the nature of the, the race. Half the race will be exhausted at this point. And anyone who's got legs or ridden themselves into this point, the likes of Micah and Bardet and that, it's an opportunity now to get into the break and get a stage win. You know, everyone's sort of, so many guys now are well back in GC that these sort of stages are almost a whittling down process. And if you've got good legs and can get into a breakaway because you're far down on GC, then... It just becomes a, a sort of man-a-man -man situation like today where you just, mm. it, it's almost easy. You know, half the battle is getting into the break and lots of half the breakaway are exhausted once they make the break because that's success for them. So you get to the second part of the race um, and it's just a case of who's got the legs. And because of the terrain, it, it makes it so much easier to just have a natural whittling down process and there's a natural selection and the strongest riders come to the fore. We've seen that for the last couple of days now. Mm. Adam Yates, has he got the legs or hasn't he? Because some well, days it's like he has. Yeah, I know. He blows hot, he blows cold. Yeah, and that's the thing with Adam, isn't it? We don't know and we kind of hope he has. But if you've got the legs on a stage like today, then it bodes well for the next few days. Mm. Um, so we're hoping that Adam you know, comes with a bit more next week. But this, this, this whole world has been a bit like that, hasn't it? It's very sort of up and down. And Bernal is almost a, a shadow of the, of the... No, I wouldn't say he's a shadow, but he was so dominant and so so kind of angry at the Vuelta, at the Giro early in the year in terms mm. of making a statement and making a big statement towards the rest of the world that he's back. He even said that one day, didn't he? And when he did that and he didn't go to the Tour de France, it almost looked like, yeah, this guy's going to come back and make the same statement at the Vuelta. But it's not looking like that at the moment. 
Um, but that's, you know, there's some tough days to come still, isn't there, really? And someone like Burnell, you can never really underestimate until that job is done, really, because he's someone who could produce something like he did at the Giro or produce something like Froome did at the Giro a couple of years ago. Mm. I wonder what, I wonder what Yates would be satisfied in this race because now that he's with Ineos, you make this assumption that it's the wins all they're interested in. But for Yates, you know, he had fourth at the Tour many years ago. And he was a very young rider. I think he won the Young Rider competition yeah. too. But he's never finished on the on the podium of a Grand Tour. It's not like his, his brother Simon that's won this race. So I just wonder where where he'd be satisfied with. He might be thinking, oh, I'd love to be on podium. the podium at this race, second or third. I'd be happy yeah. with that. But yeah. you just make assumptions based on the team that he's racing for now. Mm. Seventh and eighth on GC they are. And there's... The, there's a matter of 13 seconds between them. Jack Haig in sixth, and then you've got the Movistar pair. Now, they were isolated today. Would that have affected them? Looking ahead to the next to, to the, the coming week? Are they going oh, to be It's hard to say. Out? I mean, it depends how many people they had on the side of the road to give them bottles. I, d- I didn't notice any of them go back to the team car, but there was that point, like you said, where it was just those two left in that GC favourites group, and that wasn't on that third cat climb. That was on the first category climb before. Mm. You know, and you realise then how important teammates are. You saw Dylan Van Baal going back and getting bottles and taking them back to Bernal, Yates, and whoever else was left there. They didn't have that luxury, so... It either meant one of them would have to go back to fetch bottles for both or they hoped they had people on the side of the road. And you'd imagine a team might well have helpers to do that because they know that they've only got four riders around these two guys now left in the race. So they'd be in the knowledge that there might come a point where they don't have anyone around them still. I mean, it's hard to know how it would affect them in the last week, but the, the, the good thing is that they're both, they were both there. They both still look good. They have done for the whole race. And they'll be, I think they'll be expecting a lot from from that team over the last week of this race. I don't think they'll settle for where they are at the moment. Mm. And Ineos, they are, they're, they're down another down another man. They've lost Jonathan uh, Narvaez today, having lost Richard Carapaz yeah. yesterday. Um, so their position looking overall, surely looking weaker, Brad. Yeah, but they're not riding this race like they were at the Giro where everyone was on the front and that, that was a real team performance. It was a real performance, you know, kind of, in the vein of, of, of what we've become used to over the years with Ineos and Sky. Um, whereas this race, it just seems very much like, um, I don't know, it's a very, it almost, I wouldn't say they've come in underprepared, but short of numbers maybe. Mm. You know, when they won the Giro, it looked like, you know, with G going up at the Tour and all that, that this was really the year. They looked like they'd come back to a position where they'd spread their big leaders over the three races correctly rather than trying to go for a two-pronged attack where they could, you know, really fulfill that ambition which they've always spoke about winning all three grand tours in the year and it looks like this race they've just come up short i mean sending carapaz there is clearly you know exhausted and not the rider he was at the olympics and stuff and do you think carapaz would still be here though if bernal was in the red jersey well i guess he'd have to be because i can't imagine carapaz is that exhausted that he wasn't able to finish because he's Mm. got two weeks into the race Mm. but Um, because it's that psychological thing as a cyclist if you've got a big job to do then you can do it. But because he's sort of floating around thinking, well, I don't feel as good as I did at the Olympics or at the Tour de France before. And what's my job here? I'm just sort of next to Bernal and Yates, but we're not leading the race. Yeah. Psychologically, oh, it makes it hard has to, an effect, yeah. to concentrate on and to to find the positives rather than thinking, well, I'm just really tired. I'm, I'm empty. I, think, I reckon if Bernal or Yates were in the red jersey right now, he wouldn't feel as empty because his mind would be concentrated Occupied. on the job that he's got to do. Mm. Mm. All right, we'll leave it there. We'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins show after this. Brad, we're sponsored by Zwift, the cycling app where fun is fast but also unlocks performance. I'm a big fan getting on there with the boys, David and Stephen, as you know. Yeah. I've been exploring a few of the training plans. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Well, 
Training plans on Zwift help you improve every single time. I'm currently on board with G's training plan. Garrett Thomas, fun is flying uphill. I bet that's a tough one. It's not easy. This workout focuses on improving your muscular endurance, a pillar of any great time trialist like you, Brad, mountain climber or stage racer, to help you deal with hard surges and improve your ability to fly uphill. That's quite good, Graham. Is that, and do you find it's helping you improve? Helps you improve just because it's so easy to use. And if you want to find out just how simple that is, there's a special offer, a seven-day free trial. Find out more, download the app today. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show, sponsored by Zwift. Week ahead, Brad, six stages left after the rest day. Stage 16, we've got a sprint, and then we've got the queen stage, um, the run-in for which will happen on the road to the Welter's favourite summit, it seems, yeah. um, Lagos de Covadonga. Yeah. I always associate it with, I mean, they love the uh, the Covadonga, don't they, the Welter organisers, or they yeah. seem to, um, sort of found it during the 80s and, and I always associate it with Robert Miller's stolen Walter 85 yeah, 86 yeah. yeah I mean it's um it's brutal isn't it this last week and it's been a pretty tough race up to now and you'd imagine it it, it sets the stage for us to um have something really good play out on the road in terms of and I probably we anticipated that a bit this weekend but these stages, I don't think there'll be any shying away from, really. I think that, that we, we won't fail to have some action there. And, and I, pre, I guess Primoz is pretty much the man that we expect to, to dominate those stages with Jumbo Visma because of the way they've been riding. So, yeah, I mean, it is a queen stage. It's a, a finish that's synonymous with the Vuelta. You know, a bit like the Anglerou, That's they've both been the, 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 the two stages that... Um, we've become so accustomed to over the years. Mm. Because there aren't that many iconic climbs in there Spain, are there, no. really? When you compare it to Italy or France, where you can list off a whole load of climbs where you think, wow, that seems some racing in the past. There, are, there just don't seem to be so many in the world. So, but like you said, Lagos de Covadonga, the Angleru, those are the two big ones, and we've got Covadonga coming up. I almost felt like there was a, a game of one-up, one-upsmanship happening for a while with the, grand, the, the respective Grand Tours. So France saying, well, look, we've, we've got Alpe d'Huez, and, and then the Vuelta saying, well, look, Covadonga's our answer to Duez. And then Italy saying, well, here you go. How about the, the Zonkalan? Yeah. Try, try this on for size. Yeah. But you've got, we've got another new climb coming up for stage 18, I think I'm right in saying, which looks like an absolute wall to finish. It's, it's the, the Altu del Gamonturu. Mm. Know it well. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's uh, an HC climb and there's two Cat 1 climbs as well. And that's after the queen stage so i mean that's that's going to be two days that surely we're looking at that's what's going to define it this gc do. fight it, may, it won't fail to will it really yeah the movistar guys emric mass and, and superman lopez is that where they're looking at, at making the difference is that where they can make the difference i think anyone who's got any aspirations of winning this race or dislodging the red jersey or primos and stopping them trying to win it yeah it has to be those stages yeah um, and movistar you'd have to say more no anyone because this is their world championships. You know, the Movistar team, how many times have they won the Vuelta? This, this, you know, we've said a few times, but I don't think a podium is success for them here. It's, it's a lot, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it will do, but they're here to win the race, make no mistake. Um, and they will try everything possible to do that with the two riders that they have. They've got to do it there as well, haven't they? Because we've got the time trial coming on the last day. This is not the traditional sort of Madrid mm. sprint, you know, mm. a, a bit of a champagne sipping on the way to it. We've got a race on the final day and it's a time trial against the clock, which Roglic will be favourite to yes. win, not just to put time into the other GC riders. So for Mass, Lopez, Bernal, Yates, all the others, Jack Hay, if they've got any designs on winning this race, they know that they're not 
only got to get ahead of Primoz Roglic by, by, but by some margin so it's not taken back on the last day so I mean they can only do what they can do we can sit here all day long and say well they've got to go there if mm. they can't they can't but we'll, we'll wait and see I'm sure they'll try something mm. Macca's collective cover is made especially for cyclists this is bicycle insurance made for everyone from Grand Tour winners to cyclists hitting the pedals for the first time Lacquer has transformed traditional insurance with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month, meaning you could pay nothing if nobody claims. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Claims are handled by Lacquer's team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. The Bradley Wiggins Show listeners can get their first 30 days free. Head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code WIGGINS. From classic climbs to the Breton Classic today, which which almost went by under the radar, um, but it ended up being a bit of a thrilling finish. Um, so we had Alaphilippe, uh, Jonas Vingegaard, Ineos sent a team featuring Luke Rowe, Owen Duhl, Ben Swift, Ethan Hayter, Jasper Stuyven was there. So it was, it was a field absolutely packed with, with some top-tier guys. Won in the end by Benoit Cosnefar in a in a thrilling sprint between a two up sprint between him and Alaphilippe. Um, th- so Dan, Brad, we've we've both we've all watched the uh, the finish over again that we missed while we were watching the Vuelta earlier. Amazing two up sprint. Cosnefar really showed really showed his power there against against the man in the world champs uh, rainbow bands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great race, that. It's a world championship in itself, you know, 250 kilometres on a circuit. It was there, wasn't it? When it was 2000, won. yeah, when Roman Weinstein's won. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, really. We we saw Tade Pogacar, didn't we? We were watching a little clip before of him just absolutely, you know, sitting up on the flat, really, and, and yeah. had enough. And You don't see people go pop quite like that no. that often, do no. you? No, but I think, I think you know, you've got to remember just how far into the race that was and, and how tough the race was up to that point, and he yeah. was in the front. But was yeah, very, 200Ks you know, in? Julian won't be happy about getting beat, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, Not world. in front of his home crowd, no. No, yeah. no. Um, but Kosnefar, what a brilliant win for him. Yeah. Been, I mean, he's, he's he's another rider that blows hot and cold. I think he was slightly injured at the start of this year, Cousinefoir. But he's one of those, he's just a puncher. He can't get over any long climbs. But on the short, sharp ones, he's amazing. You know, Alaphilippe, we see him get up the mountains often. And he's up there on the, on the Tour de France GC, obviously, on a couple of occasions. But with Cousinefoir, he just can't get up anything more than about three or four kilometres long without getting dropped. But if it's multiple climbs of a few hundred metres, 1.5 k's, He's brilliant at that. And yeah, to take that win in front of Alaphilippe, because it wasn't just Alaphilippe at the end, was it? It was Mikel Honoré, mm. also a De Koenig quick step. So it was two against one. They'll be starting to think, well, maybe we should have started attacking towards the end one by one rather than, than leaving it for the sprint. But yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Mm. Alaphilippe would have been quite confident, surely, as well, looking at Honoré and then looking at Cosnefoir, thinking, OK, if I, if I ride this well and, and I play this right, I've got this. Well, he actually got ahead of him, didn't he, on the yeah. jump? But yeah, clearly Cosnefoir just had the, the strength, really. Um and yeah, he beat Julian, which is a rare thing. Mm, what about uh, Pogaccia then? So, not not necessarily still in the form that he was earlier well, in the summer. Clearly not, is he? And obviously, post Olympics, you know, they did everything to keep their heads on after the Olympic, after the tour, minus the celebrations of winning his second tour. You imagine because they were straight out, they were on the flight as, with us the next day, mm. um, out to to Tokyo, and finished it up with a bronze medal there. And, and you can imagine him coming back and then and then sort of getting in, enthralled in all the kind of 
post-tour celebrations and the things that go with it in terms of you know him being fated back home and like that so it would have had an effect on him you know mm. he, he's achieved his goals for the season and you know his goal wasn't to continue off the Olympic Games to try and have a performance in um, in Plouay here so we can let him off we might not have seen the end of him this year though because the fact is that he was in that group with Alaphilippe yeah. Kuznefois and Mikel Honoré so he had the strength to make it he just he just lacked the endurance and I guess the glycogen stores at the end of the day to keep mm. it going so he would have had a break after the Olympics because obviously it was a, the end of a very long stint of racing and training by that point but the endurance comes back pretty quick doesn't yeah. it? Yeah um, once he's allowed to get back into his routine of of being a bike rider as opposed to being pulled left and right I think you know he's, he's probably got some end of season goals and I wouldn't be surprised to still see him up there potentially a, a starter at the world championships and the likes of Lombardy in that well see so exactly that Brad his programme now is European Championships September the 12th the Worlds on the 26th and then he's finishing his season um, in the final week of the season at Lombardia I thought he might do Roubaix because remember last year when Roubaix was supposed to be in October or whenever it was and it got cancelled in the end. But there were a few riders that normally wouldn't take the risk, you know, GC guys that would say, oh, I might give Roubaix a go because we're going into the off season. Um, so I wonder whether he might do that. But oh, it's going to be a great end of season, isn't it? With the Worlds in Flanders, Paris-Roubaix the week after, the first ever women's Paris-Roubaix on the Saturday, men's on the Sunday and the Tour of Lombardy because at this point it's quite easy to start thinking oh it's been a long old year of bike racing like mm. when does it get to end you know and after the World Championships your interest starts to go down somewhat but with Roubaix on the horizon the week after that's going to be a, a cracking end of the year he, he's also up there in the World Tour rankings yeah. let's not forget so he's chasing that towards the end of the year which you know to, to win the World Tour overall so chasing the number one spot yeah is that a difficult thing to do having had the season that he's had so he, he's won Liège Baston Liège he's won Toronto Adriatico so he's gonna be well up there in the world tour rankings yeah. so you know he's uh Tour Slovenia and the UAE tour he's won too mm. so to ask him to then reboot after having that rest between well, he want to do it himself I imagine yeah. it's not just a team thing and and you know a lot of these riders it's better because otherwise you just especially as a tour winner it's very easy to get you know, write the rest of your season off and then get into sort of the whole kind of, you know, not just the celebrations, but, you know, being pulled left and right and being sort of fated here and there and everywhere. Mm. Um, you have to start training really early. If before you, do you that know it, well, it's you? October and you've had three months off. So I think for him and building into next year, he's a bike rider ultimately and he's most at home when he's a bike rider. So it almost protects him from all that by being at these races and say you have goals. So he'll have invites left and right. And, you know, now he can say, well, I can't do that, I'm afraid. So he'll have a reason. It almost suits him. Mm. How did you find that? The Very re- difficult. The reboot after being, after a successful Extremely period. difficult, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you're 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 in high demand. So it's uh, it's hard to um, to say no. And obviously you want to experience the things that you're not normally able to experience as a bike rider. And they only come around once, a mm. lot of them. So, you know, but you do pay for price for it the following year. And obviously he's coming in next year as two-time winner of the Tour de France to be wanting to win a third tour it depends what your aspirations are long term really you mm. know for him mine was never really about winning the second tour it was trying to get me around winning the first mm. but he's a different like I said on the tour he's different gravy isn't he different animal Dan how did you find that after a, after a block of racing and a rest and then going back and, <laughs> 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 and then going back to and then having to screw your head back on after a short break well, I can tell you that if I had won the tour, I would have made damn sure I made the most of the celebrations afterwards. A bit like Brad and Geraint did after they won theirs. Yeah, I mean, yeah Pogacar is a different breed from that point of view. He just loves riding and racing his bike, doesn't he? So yeah. it's in some ways a surprise to see him back racing after Olympic medal, winning the Tour de France for a second time. For me personally, I mean, it's very different when you haven't got that level of pressure on your shoulders. I was there to help other riders and occasionally try and go for my own result. But if I didn't get it, it didn't matter too much. I wasn't being paid the big bucks or anything. So I, I never had to really 
reset myself that much because I think the concentration and the pressure on me was never that great at all so it's a very different beast so I just have three or four weeks off at the end of the season reboot and start again I, and I quite like that routine I, well, I like the routine of a bike ride to be honest and the, the thing that I missed most when it, it was taken away from me I didn't get another contract was not knowing box. what my season looked like yeah. and my year looked like right I'm going to start training in mid-October November I've got to get together in December I've got a training camp in January another one in February and race season starts here then in May I'm doing this, and then in, in February sometime they'll give you another race program. So you've got to, it's all mapped out for you, and you know where you're at. All your finish lines are there, whether it's the end of a stage, the end of a stage race, the end of a training camp, whatever it is. And you don't realise what comfort you get from that until you haven't got things mapped out. And then I, yeah, I found that quite difficult initially. Mm. It's funny, we're sitting here talking about dissecting why he blew up at 200k. And it's a talking point that Pogacar blew up at 200k today. Yeah, it wasn't so much of a talking point. And it was, we almost, you know, he gets omitted from that is uh, Carapaz climbing off at the Vuelta two weeks into it. Mm. There's a difference there. You see the sort of the, the standard he set, um, Pogacar, as to kind of anyone else could blow up at 200k and it's not a talking point after the season they've had. But yeah. that, that's the level he's, he's set and that's the benchmark. Is everything he does now is scrutinized. Yeah. I was going to ask you before that. Do you miss the routine the further you get away from it? No. Not at all? Not at all, no. No. If anything, it became a chore towards the end. Mm. The routine of normal life is, 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 is establishing a routine in normal life is the hardest thing when you stop. And the quicker you can do that, the better it is for your life and the way you live it. Mm. Before we go, and before we say goodbye to Dan, and thank you, uh, soccer aid on your bike yeah on your bike tonight 9am yeah. 9pm 9pm <laughs> yeah 9pm uh, uh, with, with, with TV's Freddie Flintoff yes TV's very own Ken Barlow um, uh, two, two celebrity teams of four racing across Yorkshire over three stages for UNICEF, UNICEF. yeah yeah so it's a really good cause and um, they've never ridden the bikes we've got uh, boys on Keith Duffy in there and um, a few other guys a few other people we've got yeah Bradley Walsh's son Barney few other people yeah various soap actors various soap actors yeah but so that was it really it was good and it was kind of i was like the expert telling them how to ride a bike you know you enjoy that it was good it was really good fun yeah yeah, yeah. all right and, um, well, it made a great show well we'll be sure to tune in definitely all right well that brings us to the end of this episode of the bradley wiggins show by eurosport brought to you by zwift explore train and compete on the cycling app where fun is fast Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Dan, thank you for joining us. No TV special for you tonight? No, there isn't. I'll be watching the other one on your bike. Excellent. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's at, so we go for Brad, Dan, at Daniel Lloyd one. Um, and you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you as ever to our producer, Pete Burton. Finally for me, it's goodbye. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, rate us subscribe and share us wherever you get your podcasts Dan you're back on Tuesday uh, for TV I am yes uh, resumes then doesn't it with the Welter so uh, a couple of shows to record tomorrow but back with the Welter on Tuesday and it's a busy end of the season isn't it yeah isn't it just um, and Brad we'll see you for the Queen stage are you back on Tuesday, Tuesday as well, right, yeah. I yeah. will see you for the Queen stage on Wednesday yeah, we'll looking do. forward to it goodbye Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.